you have your Bibles with you today, please turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians. We're going to start chapter 3 today. A whole new chapter in this great epistle of Paul's. And you might say, man, if we're talking about um, unity within the Messiah again, I'm not sitting here. I've heard this for the last six months. And I think I know all I need to know about unity in the Messiah. And you might be right in thinking that. You may have it all figured out. You don't need another lecture on it. But please don't be discouraged by me or with me. I'm just teaching the Bible. Verse by verse. That's what I'm doing. I'm teaching the Bible verse by verse. I don't want to leave one out because if I leave one out, I might miss something. So if Paul speaks for three chapters on the doctrine of the unity of the church, then I'm going to speak three chapters on the doctrine of the unity of church. I assume it must be very important. The book of Ephesians is not a book like Jonah and a book like Ruth where it follows a storyline and it's and it's inclusive of a beginning and a you know a climax and an ending. But rather it's a book of theology. It's very, very important. It's a book of doctrinal teaching. It's a book of biblical truths about who we are, why we are who we are, and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in order to glorify our Father who art in heaven. Now, as I said when we started to study this epistle, it's made up of six chapters total, but it could be divided into two sections. The first three chapters are about who we are, how we are that, and the second three chapters are about the practical applications of how we are to conduct ourselves because of who we are. Chapter 1 begins by telling us who we are in Christ and the provisions made by our Savior for the redemption of our souls. And then in chapter 4 starts off in verse 1 saying, Therefore, the prisoner in the Lord urges you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. So it's a book of practical doctrine, not one of a storyline. And you may say, well, it's just repetition. I don't want to hear it anymore. I've heard it for the last six months. It's just repetition about the unity of the body. But that's how we learn. Repetition is a great teacher. How many of you ever got in trouble in your youth and somebody made you write down on a piece of notebook paper, handwrite over and over and over again what you would or would not do as a means of correction? I know this happened to me on several occasions in school. I'd do something like hit somebody on the playground. I was that kid that hit somebody on the playground. I was that heathen. My mama taught me right. I was like Merle Haggard. I just I just went astray. I kept turning towards the bed. But uh, my teacher would make me write down, I will not hit another kid over and over and over again, a hundred times. It taught me a couple things. Number one, it taught me not to hit other people on the playground. And number two, I can spell hit and people better than any of you in here. You know, if you write that enough, you'll, you'll get good at it. But, but seriously, repetition is not a bad thing. Paul's emphatic about what he's teaching, and he wants the reader to understand it. Do you realize that it's almost all of Paul's letters that he talks about these, this, this subject in itself? The, the subject of unity within the body of Christ, it's in almost every letter he writes. Every single one of them. I don't know that it's not in every one of them, but I know the majority of them carry this topic. So don't get discouraged. Just stay with the text and let's, let's glean what Paul has to say. Let's receive it with eagerness. Examine it with the scriptures to see if what Paul says lines up with those who have gone before him. So let's get started reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 for context. I've got so much writing in my Bible right here, I don't know if I can read it, but I'm going to do my best. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Yeshua, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, have
haven't you? About the administration of the Elohim's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ, Yeshua, through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of the Almighty's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in the Almighty who created all things. This is so that the Almighty's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. This is according to the purpose of the ages which he made in the Messiah. Yeshua our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access, and confidence through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. All right, let's go back and break it down a little bit verse by verse. Verse 1 says, For this reason, I want you to stop right there. What's the reason? I do this often. I do this often, but I but I believe it's important. What is the reason that Paul says for this reason? Well, we get, we're going to have to back up a little bit and uh, remember what was just said because whatever it was, it was the reason for what's about to be said. So what's Paul talking about? Remember, this is one continual letter. The separations of chapters and verses not visible in the Greek. It's not visible in the original manuscripts. It's one continual thought. When Paul writes, it's one continual thought all the way through this whole letter. But there's a common thread here in the epistle, and in order to understand it, to glean what it really is trying to say, we've got to stay within the context. We have to maintain it. So for what reason is Paul talking about? Because of this, Paul says. So we have to go back to the previous verses and see. Go back to chapter 2 and in verse 14. We find that it's because in verse 14 of chapter 2, he made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall. It's because in verse 15 he made one new man from two. It's because in verse 16 he reconciled both groups to Yahweh in one body through the cross. It's because in verse 18 we both have access by one spirit. It's because in verse 19 you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of Yahweh. It's because in verse 21 we are being built together in him and are growing into a holy sanctuary. And finally it's in It's because in verse 22, we are being built together for the dwelling of the Spirit of the Almighty. It's because of all these things, Paul says, for this reason. For this reason that I've been talking about, all those things I just mentioned. For that reason, because of these things, I, Paul, verse 1, the prisoner of Christ, Yeshua, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he pauses big long dash at the end of that word in verse 1 right there before he starts in verse 2. What, Paul? Why do you pause? Why did you stop? What was he going to say? Notice there's no verb at the end of verse 1. There's no action. If you try to tie verse 2 to verse 1, you're fixing to get lost. Okay? Paul is wanting to pray for the saints, but he just doesn't think they know yet why he wants to pray for them. The rest of verse 1 is found in verse 14. 
See, in Paul's mind, he was thinking, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Yeshua, on behalf of you Gentiles, bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. But Paul just isn't done explaining himself yet. So everything in between verses 1 and 14 is in parentheses. It's further explanation. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Paul repeats itself all through chapter 3. Right there are the first 11 verses, 12, 13 verses right there. He's repeating again what he said in chapter 1 and chapter 2. It seems to me like Paul's just not sure that they really got the the reason for his ministry. He's not positive that they understand the mystery of their salvation just yet. So he has to explain it just one more time. It's it's important to pray. I'm talking about the prayer in, in, uh, that's going to take place in verse 14 and following. But it's important to pray to, for somebody after you instruct them on how to do something. The Messiah does this in his whole ministry. His whole ministry is a walk of life, okay? And so for three years there... His apostles, disciples, every, everybody that followed him, watched him, seen what he did, learned from him, and all, all these things. And then in John chapter 17, he's about to depart, okay? And the Messiah prays for him. He says, I pray that they'll be one in you. I pray that you'll bless them. He goes on, on, and on, and on in John 17, praying for his, for his disciples and his apostles. The same way that Paul's doing that here, he said, I'm teaching you who you are. I'm teaching you about the unity in the body. I'm telling you how you become what you were, what you are, where you were in life, and I'm fixing to pray for you. But in, in verse, in verse one, he stops right there and he says, I'm not sure I'm ready to pray yet. Let me tell you one more time just who you are. So it picks back up in verse 14. So Paul starts in verse, starts off in verse two, and we'll just go on to verse two. I'm not going to skip 13 verses just to get to verse 14, but we're going to go through Start off in verse 2, and he starts with this explanation and some more repetition. He says, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of Yahweh's grace that he gave to me for you. In other words, haven't you heard that Yahweh had mercy on me for your benefit? Paul's saying, Yahweh saved me on the road to Damascus so that I might preach the gospel message to you, haven't you heard? That I was an educated man who trained at the feet of Gamaliel, that I was born in Tarsus, that I was a Jew by birth, born of the tribe of Benjamin, that I was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel, that I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But I perceived Christ as a threat that would ruin the truth of our religion. This is what Paul's saying. I breathed threats towards Christians. I persecuted the saints. I held the cloaks as my peers stoned Stephen, one of Yahweh's saints. Haven't you heard, folks? But also, haven't you heard that I am now a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. Can't you see that the grace that Yahweh gave me has made me a slave to the only begotten Son? I'm a bondservant to the Most High. Haven't you heard that Yahweh has given me a ministry to the Gentiles that I didn't ask for? This is what Paul means when he says, grace Yahweh gave me for you. Paul wasn't looking to be a follower of Christ. He was forced to be one. I promise you, when Paul's headed down the road to Damascus, he's not trying to get people saved, folks. He's not trying to tell them about our Lord. He's going to persecute them. That's, that was Paul's intention. He wasn't looking for spiritual gifts. He wasn't trying to say, how can I evangelize to somebody? He wasn't saying any of that stuff. What Paul was dealing with was hatred for other people. 
And he says, haven't you heard about me? Look, I had it all figured out. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I knew the law backwards and forwards. I know it better than any of you know it. He said, I was part of the Sanhedrin. I sat on a, on a ruling body that, that governed Yahweh's law. I know it better than any of y'all know it. I wasn't looking for this. And Yahweh struck me down, or Yeshua struck me down on the road to Damascus. He, he closed my eyes, made me see something. The love of Yahweh was more than he could bear. Like in Tombstone, uh, I think it's Doc Holliday, he says, just more than he could bear. <laughs> but uh, the light was just too bright. No pun intended. I'm not trying to be funny right there. The light that shone on Paul was just too bright. So Paul was struck down, blind, and given his sight back by Ananias. You remember, he goes to, goes to Ananias. Ananias gives him his sight back, and immediately what happens? Paul begins to preach, okay? Begins to spread the gospel message. He studied with the other brothers for a while, and, and uh, then he and Barnabas were called out to perform the task that Yahweh had set them aside to do, you know? And that was to carry the gospel message to the Gentiles. That was all Paul was designed for, is to carry the gospel message to the Gentiles. He was set out from the foundation of the world. Paul already had his ministry mapped out. He didn't have a clue what his ministry was, he, but it was already mapped out for him. When he's sitting in there studying with those Pharisees and disputing what this law meant and what that law meant and how to you know, control things, he had no idea that, that Yahweh was just to knock his socks off on the Damascus Road and say, hey, Got a whole other plan for you, buddy. All that stuff was good and fine, but that's not what I've got for you, you know. So uh, when Paul says he's a prisoner, notice he doesn't say that he's a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Rome was where Paul was, okay? It was where he wrote the epistle, the, the book of Ephesians. That's where he was at that time. And he was actually a physical prisoner there, but the point is not that he was a prisoner in chains, but... He was rather one of conviction. He was a prisoner of his conviction and his duty and his servitude to Christ. The Apostle Paul saw himself as a slave. He didn't do anything to deserve his ministry. He didn't go out looking for it. It was given to him. And I'm sure that in some ways and somehow it was a burden to him. For crying out loud, Paul was beat. He was stoned to death. Or not to death, but he was stoned. He was beat. He was shipwrecked. He was mocked. So on and so on. But it's just the way it was. He says in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 17, he says, But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In Colossians 1 and verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is the church. In other words, I do all this for you Gentiles, but I'm glad to do it because it's what Christ wants me to do. I'm his prisoner. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful that somebody is a servant like that. That he's willing to do whatever it takes. He just wants to be whoever Yahweh's got him to be. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Saints, there's a lot of times that we don't like the service that comes with being a Christian. But we carry on for the sake of the church. I was talking about that before I started the message, that we all have a role to play in the body of Christ, every single one of us. You may not want to be the armpit. There's a role to play right there. You know what I'm saying? I may not want to be the kneecap, but, hey, something's got to let this leg bend, and everybody has to do their part. And whatever, whatever it is, whatever your part is, whatever your role is, don't neglect your duties. Paul says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. 
I don't I don't like the sufferings that come along with it. I don't like to be in, in chains. I don't I don't want to be in prison. But for the sake of the gospel, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. And that's what Paul's doing here. He says, Haven't you heard about the administration given to me by the Almighty? It's for you guys. Listen to me. I'm a prisoner for your sake. I'm here for you. And then Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. Now when Paul says he has briefly written above, I think that was kind of like, ha ha, you know, because we got three chapters of it. But anyway, so he says, I have briefly written above. He's, he's actually talking about chapter 1 and verses 9 through 12. He's talking about the mystery. Let's read that real quick. Turn back to chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 9. We'll read to verse 12. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him, for the administration of the days of fulfillment, to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we were also made his inheritance, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. The mystery that Paul is referring to is the fact that Yahweh has ordained and pre-planned ahead of time that the Gentiles and the Judites would be united in Christ. That's the mystery. That's the big mystery, folks. To bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth. We just read that in verse 10. That's the mystery that Paul's referring to. Remember way back chapter, when, when we, we were in chapter 1 and we went over that whole text and I explained that in Hebrew thought. The things in heaven were thought to be Judahite, Benjaminite people in Jerusalem, the temple, the temple services, and anything that was intertwined with Judaism. And the things on earth was everything outside of that. Everything that was non-Jewish. So Paul is saying this is the mystery. That those two different groups of people, Jew and Gentile, will be united as one. And it was made known to him by revelation. Man, don't you love a good mystery? I know I do. I love a good mystery. I love to find out something new about the Bible that I've never known before. I love to see the answer to something that I've never seen before. It is super exciting to me. I have struggled with verses time after time after time as I walk, as in my Christian walk. I'd look at something. I just don't really understand it. I just can't grasp it. It doesn't matter how many times I read it. It doesn't make sense. It don't seem to line up with other things in the Bible. And here comes along somebody doing their part of the body, being their part of the body, being the finger or something like that. And they use their finger and they point to this certain scripture and all of it comes together. It's like one big puzzle piece. And I've been missing that piece the whole time and they just throw it right in place and man, I can see that beautiful picture that I couldn't see. I love it. It is super exciting to me. And when I started this epistle, this doctrine was somewhat a mystery to me. I have I have always understood Gentile and uh, Judite in a completely different way. I've, uh, I've been taught it one way growing up that Jew and Gentile were exactly what most people think they are in the Bible. And then I heard the Israelite identity message and the Gentiles are other nations and they're not really, they're not really, they're, they're Israelite people that have been scattered. I heard all that stuff. Before I started reading this, I believed the, the latter before I started reading this epistle. But as I have grown in this epistle, I have learned so much. It's, it's, it's just blossomed 
by by reading it and then watching it unfold. So um, I love to understand mysteries, and this one is becoming crystal clear to me. So Paul has a mystery to offer, and he's trying to make sure that the audience at hand understand that it's a mystery that he understands, and he's yearning for them to grasp it. Jew and Gentile will be united as one people, and that's that's what Paul's trying to get a, get across. Then he goes on, and in verse 4 he says this. He says, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. The word insight here comes from the Greek word synosis, and it means mental comprehension. He has a mental comprehension. He understands what he's talking about. <clears throat> so by reading this letter, you should grasp that Paul has a special gift to understanding the work of Christ as it pertains to the unification of the body of the saints. Paul is educated in this area of doctrine. The mystery has been revealed to Paul, and, and as a steward of Yahweh, it is his job to get the message to the Gentiles. That's what Paul was selected for, is to take this mystery to the Gentiles. That's what he was called out for. If you don't believe me, read Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 13. He was solely set apart for this mission. Paul has gone to great lengths in the first two chapters to explain how that Yahweh has chosen us before the world began. That he predestined an adoption, an adoption of salvation, if you will. That he has orchestrated this grandiose plan and has redeemed mankind with the blood of his own son according to his will and favor. That's what Yahweh did. He explains in chapter 1 how Yahweh, with all his wisdom and understanding, has lavished on us the riches of his grace. How he makes us his, his inheritance. How he's worked everything out for us. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Paul gives us an example of how Yahweh has proven his power by raising Yeshua from the dead. So that we may have confidence in our resurrection. He speaks in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 about how we are all sinful and awaiting judgment. And it was Yahweh's sovereign choice that he has redeemed us and placed us in the heavens with his only begotten son. Verses 11 through 22 of the second chapter are a reminder of who we are and who we're not. Where we were and where we have come from. How we were foreigners and strangers and now we're fellow citizens or considered members of the household of Yahweh. He talks about how two groups have become one and that the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. So there's no longer two Jew and Gentile, but one new man made of two groups. So Paul's definitely an authority on the subject of unity within the body of Christ, and that's all he's doing here. He's saying by reading, by reading what precedes this verse, you can see that I have knowledge on this subject. He wants you to understand his insight about the mystery of the Messiah. And then he goes on to verse 5 and he says, this was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. I struggled with this verse. I thought, well, how in the world can I check it? If it wasn't made known to everybody else prior to this, how in the world can I go back? How can I, how can I verify what Paul's saying? How can I be a Berean and verify that what Paul's saying is true? Well, read something long enough and you'll understand it. You know, if you, if you look at something long enough in 50 different lights, you'll figure it out. So before y'all get all bent on throwing Paul off the, out of the boat here, let me say a few things. Number one, all doctrine in the New Testament can be proven by the Old Testament. All of it. So Paul's not saying, okay, guys, I know something that the prophets didn't know. That's not his intention. He's just saying it was not made 
known. The doctrine that the Gentiles would become one with the Judaites was definitely prophesied by the people before Paul. However, it was not carried out and it definitely was not taught within the sects of Judaism. It just wasn't taught. This happens from time to time. It happens a lot. Sometimes a prophecy is made and it's not carried out until way later. Okay, Take, for example, the second coming of our Lord. That prophecy was made over 2,000 years ago. Depending on how you see eschatology, some people believe that it's already taken place in some, in some means, in some forms. But I believe in a physical coming of the second coming of Christ. And so I'm going to say that 2,000 years ago, the prophecy was made about the second coming of Christ. We've not seen it take place yet. And when, 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 when our Lord returns, there's going to be a lot of things that are answered within those prophecies that we never understood. That we have a good idea, we, we've got a good inclination about how that works, but it will definitely be clearer when he, when he comes back. This happens all the time. Let me give you another example. In Genesis 22 and 18, pertaining to this subject, in Genesis 22 and 18, Yahweh tells Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your seed because you have obeyed my command. That's what Yahweh tells Abraham. Now, this is a future prophecy, not of Abraham's offspring or seed as a whole. It's not talking about everybody that's of Abraham's lineage. It's not talking about a group of people as a whole, but as the one true seed that would heal all the people, being Yeshua. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying you will be blessed by my seeds, plural, but my seed, singular. That's what he means. He's talking about his son. Paul quotes this verse in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8 when he says, Now the scripture foresaw that the Almighty would justify the Gentiles by faith and foretold the good news to Abraham. This is the very context that Paul's speaking of in Galatians chapter 3. But he says that now the scripture foresaw that the Almighty would justify the Gentiles by the faith and foretold the good news to Abraham, saying, All the nations would be blessed in you. So see, the prophecy was made to Abraham a long time before Paul got the revelation. Before the mystery was ever revealed to Paul, the prophecy had been made. But it was not orchestrated until the death of Christ. It couldn't be. He couldn't unify the two, the two people until the death of the Messiah. All of them would be brought together in him. In other words, it was not made known. The prophecy had been declared. But it had not been made known to the people. Nobody understood it. Nobody really seen how it worked. A lot of times things are foretold by the prophets, but not revealed until a certain time. So when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 5, this was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It's not that Abraham didn't know this. It's just that it wasn't revealed to Abraham how this would take place. He didn't fully grasp how it would work. Abraham believed that, hey, all the ends of the earth will be blessed by me and my seed. There's no, there's nothing that he can't understand about that. Sure. But how that would take place and, and how it would impact the world, Abraham probably didn't have a clue. But that's okay. The same thing happens in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. Yahweh says this. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant. He's talking about Yeshua. Okay? It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob. We're talking about Israel now. It's not enough that you raise up the tribes of Jacob from the dead. Okay? And restore the protected ones of Israel. It's not enough that you do that. It's not enough that you save all of Israel. 
Listen to what it says. It says, I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's a prophecy about what Paul's talking about right here. Paul's, Paul's talking about reunification between one group and another group. This group, let's say this group, believes that they've got it. They're the sons of Israel. They believe that they've got it. They're going to be. They're going to be resurrected. And, hey, they've got the. They've got the heritage. They got the lineage. They got the law. They got the temple. They got the services. They got it all figured out. This group says we got it. This group don't have a clue. But Isaiah did. Isaiah said it's not enough that you restore these people. It's not enough. I'm also going to send you to restore these people. These people can't be these people because these people are Jacob Israel, right? And he says, it's not enough that you restore Jacob Israel. Jacob Israel is inclusive of all of Israel. That's all 12 tribes of Israel. It's not enough that you just restore them. I'm going to, I'm going to the end of the earth. I'm going to restore all these people. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6, if you're interested in where that's at. Well, this prophecy was spoken by Isaiah in 49. However, it was not enacted by anyone until Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, Paul quotes the verse to the Judites who had a problem with Gentiles Receiving salvation. Paul tells them in verse 46 and following, it was necessary that Yahweh's message, talking about the gospel, be spoken to you first. It was necessary that you heard it first. But since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to whom? The Gentiles. Now we're going to turn to them. We come, the gospel message was proclaimed to you, you rejected it. You don't believe he's the Christ, now we're going to give it to somebody else. That's what he's going to do. For this is what Yahweh has commanded us. I have appointed you as a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So see, Paul's not introducing something new. He's simply saying these things were not made known to people in other generations. They just didn't understand them. They couldn't see this one coming, so to speak. But now it's been revealed by the, by the apostles and the, by the prophets through the Holy Spirit. See, there are things that are secret that are never known by anybody. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that. The secret things belong to Yahweh. You know, it's, it's not for us to understand. Some things our mind couldn't conceive if we did understand them. I believe some of the things that Yahweh knows about the world, if he were to put that in my head, it would explode. It can't contain them. And I don't know exactly why we'll never know some things, but there's some things we'll never know. They belong to Yahweh. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And that's okay. But the latter part of Deuteronomy 29 and 29 says... But the revealed things, the revealed things, the mysteries that are revealed, the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. So there are things that are revealed that we can understand and we can comprehend. And this is one of them. This is one of those. It's a mystery that was kept a mystery until a time. And at the time of the apostles during the age, during that age of administration, at the time of the apostles, during that age of administration, the mystery was revealed to them so that they could carry out the act of Yahweh's plan. Notice Paul says, also the mystery was revealed by the Spirit of Yahweh. Second Peter in chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21 says this. It says, first of all, you should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of a man. Instead, moved by the Holy Spirit, men spoke from Yahweh. So the Holy Spirit is the agency of revelation. 
The spirit in the work is the work and power. It's the breath of Yahweh. And it's, the, it's an agent of his revelation. Also notice when this was revealed to the prophets. Now, not before, not after, but now. The revelation come to the apostles. Right then, right there, it was completed. It was now. In the Greek, it means exactly that. You can, you can do a little bit of word study on this right here. It comes from the Greek word noon, N-U-N, and it actually indicates a specific place in time, finished, started, finished, right there, N-U-N. It doesn't mean in the process of being revealed. It's not like this is, this is something that's kind of being understood over time, but that it was done right there, right then, and it was accomplished. The revelation has been closed out, if you will. And this is solidified by whom he gave the revelation to. Because notice it says that he gives it to his holy apostles and prophets. Brothers and sisters, those don't exist today. Holy prophets and apostles do not exist today. I don't care what TBN show you watch. That doesn't matter to me. If someone tells you that you have a they have a revelation that's not found in the scriptures, you need to ask them what they ate that morning. Something's wrong with them. Or ask them if they have ate that morning. They're delusional. If they have a revelation that's not found in the scripture right here, if they're speaking prophecies that's not already given right here, it's false prophecy. The prophets and the apostles have come and they're gone. At least in this, in, in the way we understand the scriptures here. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I know because verse 20 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. See, the apostles and prophets are the foundation. And the foundation comes first. We're following those. Okay? The foundation's already been laid. They've already come and gone. We can't repeat a foundation. We're not laying another foundation. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about that. If any man lays a different foundation, you know, we're not laying another foundation. The foundation's been laid and it's been done so by the apostles and the prophets. The apostles were set aside to perform certain tasks and the tasks have already been performed. And let me say this too. The word apostle simply means sent one or sent out one. Okay, so in some sense of the word, there have always been messengers of Yahweh to some degree, and I guess you could say we still have apostles today in the sense of preachers, missionaries, things like that. These are sent out people. So we could call them apostles. However, there were only 13 apostles, capital A, apostles. You have the 12, then Judas was removed, Matthias was elected, replaced Judas, and then Paul, he makes number 13. So, so 13 apostles, and yes, Paul is one as well. The criteria for being an apostle was, was that you had to be commissioned by Yeshua and that you had to see him resurrected. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, Paul says, Have I not seen Yeshua our Lord? He's verifying his authenticity of apostleship. That's the whole reason that he makes the statement, Have I not seen Yeshua our Lord? He was commissioned by Yeshua, and he saw him when he was struck down on the road to Damascus. Paul was genuine for those who have concern. But also to reiterate the criteria and the responsibility of an apostle, we can look at um, 1 John chapter 1. John was an apostle. John an apostle. He says this. He says, speaking of the apostles, what we have heard, 
What we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, which is Yeshua, that that life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal, that the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. Can you see the criteria for being a, an apostle? Seen? Commission? What are these guys doing? They're preaching what they've seen. They're confessing what they've seen. They actually even touched the Messiah. They were a special people. They had special gifts. They were instituted for a time, and then they faded away. And they're gone now. There are none of them around today. And there are nobody around, there's nobody around today who has physically seen the Messiah. Nobody has physically seen the Messiah. Nobody has been physically commissioned by the Messiah to be an apostle. Not in the physical sense. Not as these guys were. In, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, I tell you, go ye into all the world, baptizing, you know, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So, these were commissioned men. These were commissioned by the Son of Yahweh. They were seen by him. They seen him in a period of 40 days after his resurrection. These guys just aren't, they're not here anymore. You say, well, TJ, what about Barnabas and Titus? The KJV and a couple other translations, they're called apostles. But with a little A, not a big one. They were messengers of the church, just like a preacher would be today, but not an apostle like the first 13. A good example of this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 23. Paul says, as for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker serving you. As for our brothers, they are apostles of the churches, the glory of Christ. Your Bible may replace the word apostles with messengers. And that's because that's what they were. They were apostles of the churches. Some some people say they're the they're the church apostles or the apostles of the churches. I don't think any less of Barnabas and Titus. They just weren't the uh, the original thirteen apostles. So not to labor any more on the apostles, but they were surely a special people with special gifts. And they were set aside to minister and to reveal a great mystery. And the mystery that they were sent to reveal is found in Ephesians, Ephesians verse 6, chapter 3. We've been talking about it for months now. Let's read it again. Verse 6, it says, The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ, Yeshua, through the gospel. Let's say that again, just one more time. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ Yeshua through the gospel. What does that mean to you people? Well, I'll tell you what it means to me. Those who are not Yahweh's people can be Yahweh's people. They can be co-heirs, meaning that they have the same inheritance. They are partners of the promise, meaning that the promises that were made to Israel, they are now partnered in. And this is all made possible by believing in Yeshua through the hearing and the preaching of the word. That's it. That's it. Folks, that's the mystery. What no one had ever heard or heard of can now take place. So enough with this uh, Israelite identity stuff. I believe there's probably an identity of the Israelites. We start putting stipulations on uh, on salvation based on Israelite identity and things like that. You're going to have a hard time with the book of Ephesians. You're going to struggle right there. So enough with all this stuff. It wasn't a wonder that Cornelius says, 
offerings come up as a memorial, even though he was not a Judite. Yahweh loved Cornelius, and he had Peter go and share the gospel with him. It's not a wonder that Rahab and her family were saved. Yahweh loved Rahab and spared her family. It's not a wonder that all the people from other nations were given the gift of the Holy Spirit when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Yahweh loved and had mercy on those people. And it's not a wonder that the Gentiles in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, were glorified, were glorifying Yahweh's message when they heard it. They were appointed to eternal life and they believed. And it's not a wonder that Philip checked out and run up to the, the little carriage to uh, meet up with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he spent this time sharing the gospel with our, with the, with the eunuch. He read to him out of Isaiah 53, told him that he, that he, the eunuch, had been saved by what happened to his Lord on the cross. Isaiah 53. We, we talked about it a while ago. Folks, it was a turning point in history. The mystery that had been concealed was now revealed by the saints that he had set apart to believe the gospel before the time had ever began. All these Gentiles were destined for a greater life, an eternal life, and all the time had told, all the time people had told them that they couldn't be part of it. All this time, get out of my synagogue, get out of my temple. You Gentiles stay here, but you can't come this far. If you come this far, we'll kill you and let the blood be on your own, on your own efforts. You did that on your own. So if, if you come into this, into this temple, we're going to kill you. That's what the sign read. We talked about them tearing down the, tearing down the dividing wall not too long ago. That's what the sign read. The mystery had been concealed and it was, now was revealed. All these Gentiles were destined for a greater life, an eternal life. And all the time people just told them, hey, look, you, you just can't have it. We'll talk more about the revealed mystery in Paul's revelation next time I teach. And we should finish throughout verse 13. And that will bring us full circle to the start of what I started today. For this reason that Paul prays in verse 14. But until then, brothers and sisters, if you want to have a part of Yahweh's ministry today, go share the gospel with somebody. Attest to the things that you read. Share with someone what's been shared with you. You've been made a servant of the gospel by Yahweh's grace if you're born again. There's no criteria for salvation other than grace of Yahweh and faith. That's the only criteria. And you can't do the grace part. That's Yahweh's job. You can't do that. But you can help with somebody's faith. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Yahweh. So do your part. The children of Yahweh are not marked with a highlighter, folks. They're not a certain color, and they're not a certain creed. They don't speak a certain language. They're just like you and I. They're hopelessly depraved in search of something good and pure. So if you find someone eager to, for a Bible lesson, be prepared to give them one. And share the good news of our Lord with them. Psalms 19 in chapter 1, it says this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of Elohim, and the sky proclaims the works of His hands. And in verse 4 it says, Their message has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. Now if Yahweh's creation can declare His glory, and their message goes out to all the earth, Brothers and sisters, can't we? Can't we? Can't we declare the glory of Yahweh? Praise Yahweh, the dividing wall has been torn down. No more Jew versus Gentile stuff. There's no more segregation. There's no reason at all that we can't shine our light so bright before all mankind.
that the message goes to the ends of the earth, declaring the glory of the Almighty. So make an effort to share the gospel with somebody. Make an effort to show someone that there's a hope, and it's real, and there's a Savior, and He's true, and give all the glory to Yahweh. Yahweh, Father, we thank you this day. We thank you for your, uh, for your mercy. And Father, we don't know where we were. We don't understand where we were, Father, but we know that somehow, some way, that uh, you have a reservation for us. And you made plans to save us. And somehow we were preordained and predestined before the world ever began that you would save us. Father, we're just thankful for that. We give you all the praise and honor today for your only begotten Son who made it all possible that we have eternal life. Father, we lift him up today. We give you honor for him. Father, I just pray that you will continually humble us. Let our, let our pride not get in our way. Let us see the truths of the scripture. Let us be open to what you have to say to us. And Father, let's not assume that we have it all figured out. Father, just, just bless us in our studies and, and um, help us learn and grow. Father, we just want the truth and we just want to be stewards of yours. Father, do what you will with us. Give us your spirit. Guide us with it. Father, help us to be a better servant, a better steward to you and your son. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in your precious and holy son's name.